we've had this time of in this Lenten season to be with Jesus so far as he has suffered and agonized on the cross. Jesus said very few words while he was on the cross. That's very understandable, but you wouldn't speak a whole lot there. The method of execution that the Romans used to execute criminals was a very harsh, very harsh method of suffering and it made communication difficult at best and really communication talking in in any sort of manner would be excruciating in reality and as death drew closer to those that were on a cross uh, breathing would become increasingly difficult and yet the words that Jesus spoke to us from the cross Uh, have been written down for us today and we get to read and we get to listen and we get to communicate with Jesus 2,000 some years later and these words still speak to us they speak volumes to us about the the nature of the one who spoke them he started with father forgive them for they know not what they are doing it was the very first phrase uttered by our king from that cross shortly after he was positioned on that executioner's cross. Who does that? Who offers forgiveness in such a time like that? Except the one that was fully man, yet also fully human at the same time. That kind of strength and compassion uh, has supernatural origins. And then to the criminal who gives Jesus a simple confession and a simple amount of trust. And uh, as Jesus is the only one that could possibly save him, Jesus says these words, today you will be with me in paradise. And we can have months long conversations about where that paradise is or what that paradise might look like, but The fact of the matter is that this criminal, this sinner was saved and Jesus was not going to leave his side. And the same is true for us today. Many years later, Jesus still promises to never leave you, to never forsake you and to remember you day and night. That is our good news. See, Not all gospel writers wrote down all of these phrases of Jesus from the cross. And today we're going to look in the book of John. The book of John is right after the book we looked at last week, which was Luke. And so John is one of the gospels which tells the story of Jesus. It's found in the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. And so if you're you're thumbing through the Bible and you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke you'll find John. Um, Also, there's a table of contents in the beginning of every Bible. Feel free to use it. Never be embarrassed by looking up if you're not sure where that book is. Never be embarrassed to, to use that table of contents. Every single person in this room has used the Bible table of contents. Amen? Every one of us have, so go ahead and use that. It's okay. So the book of John, big number 19, small number 25. And when we compare this uh, timeline of the events uh, that events that day, the next words of Jesus, the words that came out of his mouth were for his mom and for 
his friend. Jesus now is turning his attention from those that are next to him on the ground, those uh, gathered at the base of the cross and standing before him amidst this crowd was a bunch of jeering and sneering Jerusalemites. Uh, There were five people there, though, four women and one man whom Jesus recognized and who he loved. You would think that of these five people, they would be made up of all of his disciples, minus Judas, who betrayed him by now, Um, their best friend that they had followed night and day for three years is being unjustly executed, but only one of them was present. The rest, uh, we're not exactly sure where they were. They've scattered like sheep. They've deserted their friend. Most likely they were afraid for their own life and maybe they were huddling together. They were making excuses for their absence and the gospel of John tells us who was there on the cross or at the cross that day. John chapter 19, verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. We're going to just pause there for a moment. If you would take a comparison and you'd read some of the other Gospels, you could try to figure out exactly who was there that day because they name different people, although they may be the same people, they just call them by different names. The uh, two other gospel writers that mention this story, mention the people present. Matthew mentions Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and another, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. The sons of Zebedee were James and John. They were two of the disciples of Jesus. The Gospel of Mark, his account mentions Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph. But instead of referring to this other woman as the mother of James and John, those two disciples, he calls her by her name, Salome. Now, I know this is confusing. And we think, well, maybe it doesn't even make a difference exactly who is there, but it does make a difference in this story. And, and I learn things as well as I'm doing research for sermons, and, and I learn things as well. Salome seems to be both the mother of James and John and the aunt of Jesus. Salome very well could have been Mary's sister. So do you understand what, what that means here? It's not proven. We're, uh, this is a possibility here. But the, the two disciples, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, those two guys that were referred to as the sons of thunder could be Jesus's first cousins. And we'll get to uh, how this is important in just in a moment. But for now, Jesus looks down from the cross and he focuses on one person and he sees his mother, Mary, there. Can you imagine what is going through her mind at this moment where her son is on a cross? The promise of God is being killed. Can you imagine what she would be thinking? What has happened? (laughs) 
God had a promise for me and I raised the son of God. How did all of this go so wrong? Maybe she was thinking. And I think it's incredibly brave of Mary to be where she was. She loved her son. She raised him. She told that angel, do what you want. I will do anything you need, Lord. And even if that means carrying your own son, I will do it. Mary was in, all in, every step of the way. And so, yes, it was brave for her to be there in front of her son as he is being executed. But where else would this woman of God be at this moment? She has to be with her son. So Jesus also noticed a guy there, one of his disciples, that had the courage to show up that day. This disciple, although at this moment he is unnamed, was none other than one of his closest friends one of his disciples, and possibly even his first cousin, John. And John's own account of this story continues. Let's go back and reread verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. All right, so there's a little background we, so we can understand what is going on here and why Jesus might have said these words. Uh, we may know that Mary was married to Joseph. Mary and Joseph, we know them from the Christmas story. And they raised Jesus. But to this point, probably Joseph has already passed away. And Jewish tradition would be that the oldest son would now take on the care of his mother after the father dies. So, Ian, you're off the hook. Isaiah, we're all yours. Right? But if the oldest son has already died... And Mary's oldest son is now on a cross. It would make sense for Mary to be taken care of by Jesus's younger brothers. Jesus had four younger brothers, at least a couple of sisters. But Jesus doesn't give his mom, Mary, he doesn't give her care over to them. He gives her care over to John. Why would he do that? Well, we're speculating. We, we don't know exactly why he might do that, but biblical scholars think that Jesus probably put Mary into John's care because Jesus' brothers weren't believers in him as the Messiah at this point. They didn't believe he was the son of God. I'm sure they thought of him at this point as the annoying older brother that never did anything wrong. That's probably what they were thinking of him. John chapter 7, verse 5 says, For even his own brothers did not believe in him. They just saw Jesus as somebody that they could gain fame through. It wasn't until after the resurrection of Jesus that his brothers had a change of faith. And so Jesus wanted his mother to be taken care of by a believer, by the disciple that he loved, John. And Jesus 
earlier even made a point to say that his real family are those that are part of his spiritual family. This is found in Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. But if John really is Jesus's first cousin, it kind of makes sense. It's a little less strange, right, for him to place his mother into the care of John because really he's just asking Mary's nephew to take care of him. But there's more happening here. Jesus wasn't giving his mom this nice retirement plan. He wasn't providing for her as she gets older. He was giving her a new identity, a new identity now as John's mother, which is even more strange because John's biological mother, Salome, is standing right there. And he gives John a new identity as well as Mary's new son. Jesus, through his death, is creating a family. And so from the cross, Jesus has given us forgiveness. Jesus has given us salvation. And now Jesus gives us a new family. And for those that accept his gift of salvation, we are adopted we can become adopted into this new family with God as a father and each one of us as brothers and sisters. And so that cross that Jesus was crucified on, you know the cross, you see it in your mind, it has this vertical part, right? This vertical beam that through that cross we are offered a relationship vertically to God in heaven but it also has that horizontal beam, which represents that we are offered the opportunity to have a relationship in a new way with other fellow believers. So write this down. The cross allows us to be in a relationship with the father and to be adopted into his family. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul later is. He's going to write this to uh, the Romans. In Romans chapter 8, this is what the Apostle Paul says. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Abba, Father. Abba isn't just a 1970s band that sings Dancing Queen and Mamma Mia. And now you have those songs going through your head for the rest of the day. You're welcome. So... The name Abba in a biblical sense here is so much more than that. You've probably heard people say Abba before. It's just a word that means father. But it's so much more deeper 
than that. So write this down. Firstly, Abba is an intimate name for your father. Abba is more correctly translated as dad, as daddy. It's a term that Arabic children would have used to speak to their fathers. You have probably heard Cheryl pray. And when she does, she refers to God the Father as Daddy. Before I met Cheryl, I had never heard anyone refer to God as Daddy. There are a whole lot of firsts after you meet Cheryl, but that was... (laughs) Love you, sister. But I loved hearing her say that word, daddy, in relation to God, because I knew the heart of my sister Cheryl. I knew what she meant by that, by that name. She didn't use that name casually. She didn't use that name to degrade God in any sort of way. She knew that she is God's girl, and she's proud to acknowledge it, even in prayer. And so her use of the word daddy is a direct reflection of her relationship with the father. He has adopted her. She is his daughter and he is proud of her. He cares for her. He loves her and her daddy will do anything in order to protect her and keep her safe. So when Cheryl calls the father daddy, it's out of this deep respect for her heavenly Father. But Abba means more. It's, it's so much deeper than just the word daddy. It, it's, it's more than this respectful term of endearment. Abba is also a term of, write this down, obedience. Abba doesn't just mean dad. Abba doesn't just mean daddy. What Abba actually really means is father I will obey you. Wow. The two elements of the term Abba are intimacy and obedience. The term Abba is telling God that he has the authority and he alone has the authority to command my obedience because he knows what's best for me. Abba as daddy is such a, it's a relational word It is a son or a daughter that has this close relationship to the father. Daddy, Abba, is sweet and it's respectful and maybe it's even playful in a way. But it communicates that this child has a deep love and respect for his or her father. It communicates the desire of God to have us, to call us his sons and his daughters. This is his plan for us. This is what he's wanted for us in all time. Abba, as the authority, is a discipleship word. It says to him, I may not understand it all, Father. I may not get it all. And hey, there may be times that in my humanness, I don't even agree with all that you say, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to obey you, and I'm going to do exactly as you tell me to do. And so earlier in this week, we find Jesus uh, before he is crucified on the cross, and he's praying, and he's in this moment of stress, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, Abba, Father, 
Everything is possible for you. But take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And it's a beautiful prayer because this prayer shows us part of Jesus' godliness. And that he knew exactly what was going to be transpiring. He knew exactly where he was going to be on that cross. But his humanness side was so stressed and so strained to the point that he was literally sweating drips of blood. And so he cries out to his father and says, Abba, Father. What he was really saying with those words was, Daddy, I already obey you. I'm already obeying you. You can, you can do what you want. And I'm going to obey you. I will do what you tell me to do. There is no question about it. So in one word, Jesus is conveying his intimacy, yet also his obedience to the Father. See, Jesus is modeling for us, for those in a close relationship with Abba, that this is what we need to do. We need to be speaking to him. We need to be praying to our father. We need to be in communication with him. Jesus spoke to his father all the time. He spoke to his father when he was busy. He prayed. When Jesus had important decisions that had to be made, he prayed. When he needed direction, he prayed. And even when following God seemed to be too much for him, he prayed. So let me ask you this. If Jesus needed to pray to the Father, how much more do you need to speak to the Father, to Abba? We live outside of town, and every once in a while our internet goes down and that causes a tremendous amount of stress for a family who is addicted to our phones and screens and and uh, every once in a while the internet will go down and I'll hear somebody yell from the other room what happened to the internet is the internet down again and basically what they're saying is I can't communicate with anybody anymore I have no lines of communication any longer and we get stressed out and when your life is stressful, when you're feeling like your life is, is more than you can handle, check your communication line with Abba. Chances are you've forgotten to check in with him. Chances are you've dr dropped that direct line of communication with Abba, with daddy. See, the words of Jesus to his mom and even possibly his cousin John, do more for us than to remind us that we are adopted with God as our collective father together, but also remind us that we are adopted into a family here on earth. So number two is the cross allows us to be in a relationship with Jesus and each other as siblings. I've done some pretty basic genealogy. That's a study of your, your family's roots and, and where your family came back from. And I've traced some of the branches of my family back into the 1600s and even the 1500s. And so far, all the different lines of 
What makes me, me is uh, some came from England, some came from Germany, and others came from Kentucky. Oh, well. If you're watching from Kentucky, I'm sorry. But. So the, the ETOC side, though, uh, most likely started in France, and then they migrated to England. And today, there are branches of the ETOC family found in England and in Canada and in South Africa and in Australia. See, my last name is unique enough that every single ETOC on the globe is related somehow. And each one of these ETOC branches can trace their origin back to a small town in Western England near the city of Manchester. I think that's kind of cool. But we don't need to do that kind of genealogy to figure out what's our common root with one another. If you are a follower, if you are a believer of Jesus, we are family. And that's where we all have been joined together at the foot of that cross. We have been adopted into a new family. And that means that Jesus is our brothers and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. See, that night before Jesus died, he spent that night in prayer. He spent that night talking to his Abba, his father, but he wasn't only praying on his behalf. He was praying for you. And he prayed these words. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I want you to know that when Jesus was praying that day, he had you in mind. He had our church in mind, but he wasn't just praying for the church of the Nazarene. We get that, right? Um, throughout history, Christianity has had a whole lot of numerous disagreements and, and theological arguments and even disastrous divisions within the church. Did you know in the United States, there's about 200 different denominations, but worldwide, there's 45,000 different denominations. And guess what? Not all of them get along. They just don't. Just like not everybody in your family probably gets along. And there's probably some weird uncle somewhere in your family, right? That everybody wants to avoid. The same is true for denominations. Yet Jesus called us to be one. Jesus called us all to be unified. The book of, book of Hebrews says the, both the one who makes people holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's us, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. 
And so it's my, it's my goal as a follower of my brother, Jesus, that I live in such a way that Jesus is never ashamed to call me his brother. Remember, Jesus had four other brothers, yet he gave the responsibility to care for his mom to John, not to one of them. I don't ever want to be the, the brother that Jesus looks at and says, eh, why don't we give that responsibility to somebody else? I don't know if I can trust him. Ouch. I want to keep the most important thing, the most important thing in my life. I don't ever want Jesus to say, I don't know if you're hot or you're cold, Brian. I don't know what to do with you. See, I have to keep my love for Jesus as the most important thing that has ever happened to me because he's the most important thing that's ever happened to me and you too. And so number three, if you want to write this down, God has created you for community. He's created you for this community. You probably heard it said that you have to follow Jesus for yourself, but you cannot follow him by yourself. You heard that? See, your effectiveness for the kingdom will be directly proportionate to the support system that you connect yourself to. Did you hear that? I'm going to say that again for us. Your effectiveness for the kingdom what you're going to be able to do for God, for Abba, and accomplish and undertake for the kingdom of Christ is directly proportionate to the support system that you connect yourself to. You cannot follow Jesus alone. And so these are pretty basic here, but number one is go to church. And I know that I'm preaching to the choir. All of you guys showed up here this morning. So thank you for showing up. But it's so hard to be part of a community if you're not part of the community, right? I, I get asked that a lot. Pastor, why do I have to go to church? Can't I just be a Christian? No, well, I don't know. It's really hard to follow him by yourself. And we need that community. So show up, be part of the church. And I've heard it before, well, pastor, so-and-so made me mad last week. Well, pastor, that person and I don't agree with one another. So what? So what? Your family, brothers and sisters in Christ. And I don't understand how we expect to live in one accord with one another uh, in heaven if we're not willing to do it on earth. Eternity is a long time, my friends, and you don't know who's going to be your neighbor. We had better practice living in unity now if we think we can do it forever in heaven. Those of you that are online, I'm... I'm glad that you're with us. Uh, we love you. We truly do. And we believe that you are part of this church just as much as anybody here. But let me just say this. We miss your face. We miss seeing you. And I know that there are circumstances of why uh, not everybody that's watching online can be here in the family in, in, in person here today. I get that. I understand that. And I'm glad you're part of our church. 
But there's also something about meeting together and sitting next to that weird family member this morning. That's what makes this church a community. So number two, join a group. Join a group, not just here in the sanctuary. Get to Sunday school. Get into a small group. Get into a Bible study, whatever it could be. You should be meeting with people outside of this 75 minutes every week. Do life with one another. Learn from one another. Pastor Callie is going to be back in uh, for our PFN 101 class right after this service. She can help you find a group. There's new groups starting all the time. There's new groups starting this week. On Wednesday, a new group is starting. Find it in your bulletin. Men, if you want to go see the new movie, Jesus Revolution, the men are called, look for uh, Wayne Altpeter. And a bunch of men are going to go see that movie on Thursday night. There's a whole lot of things going on. Widows, there's a group just for you. They meet every single Monday night. So find Carol Deaver or Sandy Crawford or somebody and they will help you. Men, women, there's groups, there's, there's places for you to be involved in the life of the church. Young adults, you got your own group. Prime timers, you have your own group. There's groups for all of us. If you like to golf when the weather's nice, grab a bunch of people and let's, let's go golfing together. Let's spend time with one another. I would love, I would love for somebody that loves woodworking to form a group so I can come to your house and use your tools. <laughs> I mean, so that we can spend time together in Jesus' name. Let's hang out together. We are a family, right? Let's learn how to follow Jesus with one another. And number three is start serving. It can be here at PFN. If you want to go across the river and go to Southside Community Center, then go there. If you want to call Pastor Greta and say, hey, could you use some help at that senior center? She would be thrilled if you could help her out. See, being a family takes work. Being your family takes work. See, the ch church family is no different. So let's be part of the family. Because the alternative, the alternative is something that none of us want. We, live, we lived in the alternative of not having community for almost two years. And loneliness now has become the new pandemic in the United States. We started growing apart decades ago as a society. We do life separate from one another more and more and more, even though electronics connects us. More people are lonely than ever before. And the pandemic didn't cause it. The pandemic just sped everything up. Maybe you aren't lonely today, but the person you're seated next to might be, and they need family, which breaks the Father's heart because he created us to be in community with one another, a family that cares for one another, a family that loves one another, 
a family that serves one another. And God has been so good to us, so good to us. He's given us a family, even if it does have a weird uncle or two in it. Even if your earthly family is messed up, you can belong to his family. But remember, even God's family is made up of people with flaws just like you. So let's be patient with one another. Our worship team is going to come back up and, and sing for us about how good God is. And he really is. From the cross, he wanted us to know that we have been created for family. And as our worship team sings, I'm going to ask you to do something that if you are introverted like me, you will hate me for a minute, but we're family. It's okay. I want everybody to stand. Go ahead. We can stand. We're a family. And so we don't sing. We're not going to sing how good God is and leave anybody standing by themselves. And so if you need to move around, if you need to come up uh, uh, with somebody, if there's somebody here that you don't know yet, seek them out. Right now, it's okay. Seek them out. And we're going to sing this song about how good God is. Nobody should be singing this song alone. In fact, we should probably scoot together. Get near your brothers and sisters. Nobody sings this song alone. I know you're freaking out. It's okay. (laughs) But let's worship God as a family this morning.
your sons and daughters sing that to you this morning, Jesus. 
You are so deeply good. You love us in a way that we could never imagine. You love us so much that you gave us each other to walk through this very hard world. To lean in and to lean on each other. To hear from you together. To serve together. To cry together. To pray together. You created the community because you love us so much. So Jesus, don't let us miss it. Let us grab onto it right now, Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we give you this day. And all the Lord's holy people said, Amen.